Welcome everybody to Behind the Shield and a brand shiny new year. Happy new year to everybody. Um, I don't, I didn't check if there was any statutes of limitations there on a ha wishing a happy new year on the, on the January 18th. I feel like I'm a little bit over that line. But uh, be, as that it, be it uh, as it may, happy new year to everybody. Hopefully 2024 has started off well for you and you're not uh, frozen in certain parts of the countries or buried under tons of snow. Uh, my name is Marco Estrella. I'm very happy to be back as the host of Behind the Shield uh, for hopefully another year with you. On today's show, uh, we will have our panelists uh, working hard for you. We have Patrick that's going to be recapping 2023. Uh, the whole panel will be giving their bold predictions for this year, the upcoming 2024 year. We will be talking to an old friend of the show, Jane Arnett. Jane will be looking into her crystal ball and tell you exactly what to expect in 2024. No pressure, Jane. And uh, we'll also have an albeit abbreviated hot topic segment. We can't get around it. People love the hot topic segment. And uh, we will have one today. So the industry's most anticipated cybersecurity discussion. Uh, without further ado, let me introduce our trusty panel. Uh, you know them, you love them. Patrick Naum, Virtual Guardian CEO. Hello, everyone. From our office in Minnesota, Bill Strube, president of Virtual Guardians U.S. Operations. How's it going? And joining us today, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, our special guest, Jane Arnett. Jane is Checkpoint's ELA architect, office of the CTO. Welcome back, Jane. Nice to be back. Thanks for having me. Great. This is a new title from last time you were here. What's? Uh, can you explain it? What's ELA architect? I guess it's expanded a little bit. I've, I've gone a little beyond just coming up with um, uh, security solutions, working with our customers into architecting longer term, broader, wider, uh, zero trust architecture style um, solutions. And I get to do that kind of all over the world these days, which is a lot of fun. You've been traveling? A little bit. Yeah. Get oh, a few stamps fun. on that passport. Nice, nice. Anywhere exotic or? I you... think my favorite this year was probably in the um, going to the Netherlands was probably my favorite this wow. year. Although, although Dallas was pretty fun. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Including Amsterdam or? I didn't spend much time in Amsterdam, <sighs> but I can have many, very many conversations about what I'll do on my next trip there. Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. Just, just, just asking, you know, since you enjoyed it and... so much. Our, uh, our loyal listeners may uh, remember you uh, You were on our second episode. This is episode 16, so it was over a year ago. What uh, what have you been up to in the past, in this past year, year and a half? Anything uh, other than this travel? Other than this travel. So there's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of keeping up with the crazy pace of change inside our industry. Um, and, and there's been a lot more engaging with the public in, in my sort of more expanded role these days on simple solutions that we can take to have an, a big impact on that front. Okay, very interesting. Well, thanks for being back. If, um, if this is the first time for you listening out there um, and you like what you hear, you can catch up on past episodes by going to virtualguardian.com slash events. And you can uh, listen to your uh, you can listen to us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 
So let's get the show on the road and uh, let's start with the hot topic segment. Um, Bill, you are up first. Uh, your hot topic was a story about extort- an extortion scam linked to the SEC. Can you give us some details, please? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not trying to uh, butt into Patrick's year in review, but this does actually combine a couple of different things that we talked about over the course of 2023. Uh, the first of which is one of the things the Security Exchange Commissions did in 2023 was put into in place a reporting notification for organizations that are obviously publicly traded that uh, if they have a material breach, they have four days to notify um, the SEC that that breach has actually occurred. Um, Now this particular story takes that information as well as one of the other groups that we talked about, uh, Black Cat, which was uh, partially involved in the MGM uh, attack last year, which we also covered. And now we're gonna put them together into a whole new story and talk about uh, something that actually happened uh, in 2023, but it's still relevant and and important to understand today. So again, back in uh, July, the SEC said that uh, an organization must describe the nature, scope, and timing of the incident and material impact or reasonably likely material impact of the registrant, meaning that if you have a cyber attack that impacts your organization, your clients, the information, you have to disclose this. Uh, It went into effect officially in September uh, and was not actually required, though, from a uh, compliance perspective until December. So Black Cat, the ransomware game that was partially involved in with, uh, again, MGM, they they had impacted uh, uh, Meridian Link, pardon me. Uh, Meridian Link had uh, an attack in their environment. they didn't disclose it, and apparently Black Hat did not like the fact that they had not paid the ransom, provided whatever they were expecting in a timely manner. And so for Meridian Link, Black Hat decided to post that uh, that they were now behind compliance for the uh, the actual breach notification to the SEC. So it was... Um, Kind of mind-boggling to me that uh, not only do you have a, a ransomware game that's attacking your environment, causing havoc for your your potentially your team, your infrastructure, uh, and trying to impact the data in your organization, but if you don't comply, if you don't provide a response in the manner that uh, that is not required by the SEC, they're going to do you a favor and actually post out and say, oh, by the way, you need to do this too, uh, and please pay us. Um. Kind of looking, uh, looking from for my any, perspective. Any, they're looking ahead, for sorry. any ways to, to shame to shame the the, the, the victims. <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, it 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 shows that they really don't uh, they don't have a lot of scruples, I guess, when it comes to the ransomware game. They're they're right. uh, they're willing to do whatever that takes to to extort the uh, the, the victim. Right. Um, now, to be to be fair to Meridian Link. They actually went through and said that indeed that they uh, um, that one of their accounts were compromised. It was not a privileged account. There was no major impact to their environment, and as a result of that, it probably wasn't a material impact, and therefore would not have required the SEC actual notification. Uh, on top of it, this happened in November of 2023, uh, and because the Compliance component didn't kick in until December. Black Hat actually jumped the jumped the gun 
as far as the timing, as far as what was required. So it's an interesting component where we bring in some of the component uh, stories from last year, tie them all together, and um, bring this into the hot topics while still looking back at 2023. Right, right. I wonder what they're going to think of next. You know, it's like, come on, chop, chop. Oh, where's where's our money? Where's our ransom? You're behind and they shame you. They put you there. They put you out there in yep. any way they can. Like you say, no scruples, I guess. None whatsoever. Yeah. And no yeah. honor among thieves either, eh? Like no, this, Jane, this, none at all. This new thing of then turning <laughs> to law enforcement, essentially, and yeah. getting them involved on your behalf. Yeah, it's the unintended consequences of regulation and... and um, Apparently, the ransomware, uh, ransomware threat actors are happy to take every advantage they possibly can. Bill, one of the, the precepts of the, of the law is um, disclosing a material breach. Have we seen any definition of what a material breach is from the perspective of the lawmakers or it's up, up, up in the air still? No, I mean, they put um, they do put some some components as far as what is material. And it also depends upon different information, such as the number of records, um, the, the impact to the organization, what the financial impact is to investors. Um, it's, it's a good question. I don't have the direct defin definitions for you, but they have put some structure around that materiality. So, so I guess as they like, as they deal with these cases, it's going to be like jurisprudence and they're going to be basically putting down the baselines as they, they enforce, I guess, right? Yes. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Did did, you, did we have a um a, a, an outcome that, that they paid a ransom? Is it still standing by? Do we know or no? They didn't pay anything, and they uh, they basically said that they disabled the uh, the account that was compromised, and essentially that there was no impact on their in their environment. So, okay. um. Wouldn't have required the SEC uh, notification. Uh, they wouldn't have to have reported. Um, right. Again, Black Hat jumped the uh, the gun. It wasn't actually uh, they they weren't in violation of the SEC compliance. But it ties everything together from from the perspective of new regulations, ransomware gangs, and that unfortunately uh, they can double, triple, or quadruple ransom you. They are absolutely going to. You know what? I would have maybe replied to them uh, if I was um, the client. I would have said, not the client, the victim, sorry, or the client of the the hackers of, of Black Cat. I would have said, you know what? If you report me to the authorities, I'm going to have severe penalties and I won't be able to pay you. So please don't <laughs> report me to my to the That's authorities. Right. <laughs> You're going to see that argument come out. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um just a little note for um, uh, everyone listening. Uh, please feel free to put any questions in the Q&A section of the show uh, in the Zoom uh, interface. And uh, if there's any questions at the end, we'll uh, I'll try to get to, to as many as I can. Uh, okay, so thank you, Pat. Uh, thank you, Bill. We're moving on to topic number two. Patrick, you wanted to talk about the effects of ransomware, not only on the hospitals uh, themselves, but on the patients, actually. Well, I mean, it's unfortunate to have to discuss, uh, you know, these subjects, right? Um, 
you know, close to home uh, in Ontario, there were five hospitals that were hit over the last year. Right. It was one of the, the landmark uh, milestones this year is the amount of hospitals hit, especially in Canada uh, and the U.S., uh, actually, there's a little a story close to home. My my brother's chief surgeon of a hospital in Ontario, and they were attacked by ransomware early last year. And within minutes, they were doing, they were on pen and paper. They didn't have access to lab results. They had to postpone operations. He had to postpone operations. Um, thankfully, no one, there weren't any deaths short term, but as you'll see in the article, I'm going to comment on, you know, there's there's collateral damage. Like you don't know what the impact is of someone that didn't get test results or wasn't operating on uh, in, in a timely manner. And these results or these impacts could life last a lifetime or someone could pass or have complications uh, much later. And it's something that's extremely difficult to track. So there is collateral damage. So um, there's two individuals. Hannah Naprash is an assistant professor of health policy and management at the University of Minnesota, by the way. And has nothing to do with the fact that uh, uh, Virtual Guardian is from Minnesota. It just happened to be uh, uh, the, the study was conducted from there. And Claire uh, McG- uh, McGlave, doctoral student in health services research policy administration at University of Minnesota School of Public Health. And Sai Nikpei is an associate professor of health policy and management, University of Minnesota, again, of public health. And they wanted to determine if there was a, uh, it was kind of the same notion as excess deaths as we saw during the pandemic, you know, taking, you know, baselining the amount of deaths that you see in a specific hospital in a given situation and entering or, or adding an additional variable like a ransomware attack, or in the case of the pandemic, it was related to the virus, and seeing if there's a variation in the, in the amount of deaths uh, associated with that event. And actually, uh, last August, and that's where their, their research started, uh, there was the Manchester Memorial Hospital in Connecticut that were hit by a, a ransomware attack. And I'll, I'll describe a little bit what, what it meant. So you know, as they say in the article, what happened after is the stuff of nightmares, right? So the first thing they do is redirect all ambulances, all ambulances with patients to other hospitals. So that's the typically the first, first thing they do. Then, you know, all the x-rays, CT scanners, and all the electronic-based or networking-based equipment, because obviously, obviously all the imaging is digital and, and, and sent on networks, are literally canceled. So you could have a someone coming in for a patient that has cancer or either being treated or that thinks that they 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 have cancer, all those are canceled. All the public health records are are unavailable, uh, which also means that, you know, nurses and doctors can't prescribe medication anymore to the patients because they don't know what the what medications they were on, right? Because everything's digital now. So you see the cascading effect that this has on a hospital. And they studied uh, there were 60, 15 other hospitals uh, in, uh, in the study. And they've determined that typically, and as you know, in a hospital, it's before I get to the stats, it's a very high pressure, uh, high intensity environment. All the systems now are connected and, and have an IP address from the imaging machines, monitoring equipment, et cetera. So, but, but but what complicates things, but also helps the hackers out is that the users are not really focused on what they're doing. They're just going to going, they're, they're just drilling in and, and using the software. 
opening emails and, and clicking and, and getting their job done at a very high rate of, of work, right? As we know and could appreciate. So they're susceptible for all sorts of attacks and, and not knowing what they're doing or not validating what they're doing. So they're prime targets. Everything's connected and the user's attention to phishing attacks or other threats is really, really low. So it's it's a perfect storm for hackers. So this is what goes on in, in these, these hospitals being targeted, and there's more and more of them. I'll go back on my on the summary of 2023, and this also is related to that, but you'll see that, you know, I think this year, um, you know, if you look at uh, the attacks are pivoting from, you know, enterprises, large organizations, to public health, to critical infrastructure. And that was the year, that's what we saw in 2023. So, and we have all these, so, so you have the direct effect on the hospital itself, but then you have a cascading effect because the other hospitals are getting, uh, you know, we're redirecting ambulances, like I said earlier. So the emergency rooms are overwhelmed, you know, more and more patients go to the other hospitals. So it reduces the care. So you, you literally have choices, you know, if you look at a hospital administrator or even a, a doctor, do I pay the ransomware or do I give less than ideal care to my patients. That's the decision some of these people have to have to do, which doesn't make sense. So they've they've calculated in normal times, usually there's around, unfortunately, three out of a hundred people that are hospitalized that 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 die, that pass away in, in a in giving normal situation. And with the samples, and these are preliminary numbers that need more more research, but they immediately came up with the number. So they they mapped out all the the hospitals that were attacked by ransomware, and they came up with an additional death death. So four deaths per one hundred people admitted. But we all know that there's thousands of people admitted in a hospital. So we're talking about dozens and dozens of deaths related to ransomware attacks last year alone in a subset of hospitals that were attacked. So there is a direct link between ransomware attacks and deaths. And this has to be taken more and more seriously. And one of the comments I, I threw out to my my brother and I, we still have to have the, the, we have yet to have the conversation is that as it stands now, it's all the hospital administrators that are dealing with IT and security budgets, and they're making all the decisions. At what point do the doctors have to step in, invoking their Hippocratic oath and saying, listen, guys, you are killing people by not making these decisions and investing adequately in cybersecurity. That's a collateral damage. So the regulators have to step in, the doctor and professional associations have to step in. It is everyone's problem today. It's not just the problem of a board of directors and administrative um, uh, officials in the hospital administrations uh, and insurance companies. So they, I'm really glad they shed light on this. The actual article was posted by uh, it was it was posted by John Miller, CEO of Halcyon, one of our good partners in, in ransomware protection. And I picked it up uh, off of LinkedIn and I thought it would be good to share with the team here and, and the rest of you, because it's we underestimate the impact of uh, some ransomware attacks in the healthcare sector. As the most certified integrator in Canada, ESI can help you to find security controls for each unique segment of your network, minimizing access to cyber criminals. 
Contact us at info at esitechnologies.com or visit esitechnologies.com. Any, um, any news on uh, follow-up? Because I know those five hospitals hit in Southern Ontario at the same time. Um, I know that, uh, uh, you know, efforts were done to, to, you know, a lot of efforts were done to, to put them back up on running hundred percent, but are, did they pay, was any ransom paid out by any not hospital? To our, not to our knowledge, but there's a couple of hospitals that literally threw in the towel. They could not recover. So they had to really? go out and repurchase, not just rebuild, repurchase new equipment, new infrastructure and rebuild everything from scratch. Wow. Months, months into uh, into the crisis, and you yeah, know what? Last I mean, year, yeah, go ahead. Also, Jane. saw the first time it was in Illinois where a hospital actually shuttered and pointed back to a to a, a ransomware attack they'd suffered in 2021. So, as far as I know, it's the first one that's happened. But the increasing, you know, as you were talking about, Patrick, the increasing regularity of these attacks and and the success, not just when the employees and the nurses and doctors are so overworked and tired and just trying to get their jobs done, but they're working on software systems that are super old and unpatched and out of date. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's critical. I'm guessing the, uh, I think Jane, you're the one that said there are no honor among thieves, but that there was a one point kind of a line drawn in the sand uh, that uh, they wouldn't attack uh, these groups wouldn't attack hospitals yeah. and stuff but i think that line has been crossed yeah that yeah. yeah that it lasted for a very short period of time and then <clears throat> that's it eh because i what there was a story we commented it on last year about uh a, group, a, a group that gave the encryption keys to an institution and apologized it was a group of ones yes and uh but then and but then there's so many other examples of the opposite of just whatever, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure the hacker that made that decision is buried somewhere uh, in a desert because that's the thing. You have thousands of hackers, you know, and this guy made a decision, whoever it was and it's sick kids. Thanks Edwin in Ontario, you know, uh, there were, I don't know, maybe someone was connected with the hackers, but they, they let go. But I mean, you know, there's, there's hundreds, and as I'll talk about it later, there's hundreds of ransomware units or attack units or hackers out there. So they're not acting uh, in collab. You know, they're not collaborating. They don't have a, a single voice. Right. Right. Well, it's hard to say. If, if it was ransomware as a service, it, it could be a, a lone wolf person doing ransomware on their own and said, "Okay, I'll, I'll give the keys back." But if it was one of these larger groups, good chance that uh, maybe yeah. not. It, Maybe not in the desert, but uh, probably uh, probably still out there doing what they did and have to work a little extra hard to make up for the lost revenues, my guess. So, Right. Thank you, panel, for your input. Um, I'm thinking that, uh, well, this is the beginning of the year. I think we're going to have a lot of hot topics to discuss and, and these kinds of stories all throughout the year. Um, but uh, before we get to, to the next section, uh, bold predictions, uh, Patrick, you wanted to do kind of a, um, a in your own words, uh, a recap of 2023. So, yeah, uh, in my own please. words, but also leveraging uh, an article I read over the holidays. Um, sure. It was a, a, The Economist. Uh, the Economist, what's interesting, I've, I've been a subscriber for a while and they talk about a lot of different things, but I, I've noticed recently that just for the last 
couple of years that they're reporting more and more on cyber threats and, and cyber uh, security issues. So I'm going to go through key elements uh, of that as quickly as I can. So, you know, the, I'll give you an example. The, the Brits and the Americans are obviously front and center in all this. And I've said it earlier, there's been a shift towards attacks on uh, infrastructure, critical, critical infrastructure, schools, and uh, power utilities in hospitals, as we saw. So that was one element, right, versus uh, enterprises, because typically enterprises will spend a little, not never enough, but will spend more in cybersecurity and are a little more prepared, uh, whereas the other ones are more vulnerable, as, we, as we've seen in these examples. Um, however, there, there's a bit of... You know the, the scale of the problem isn't easy to uh, to measure, right? Because some some customers that are some people that are hacked uh, will either pay ransom or just never want to divulge that they were. So they're not part of the statistics for the most part. Um, also, the rising numbers of attacks does not mean that necessarily everyone's been compromised. So it means that there's maybe a little more detection. So it's very hard to have an exact figure of who was attacked and, and the damage, right? So it's li literally the, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but there's still, you know, there, you still have a lot of information out there, right? So if you look at, you know, le uh, sites that, that report on leaked information, you know, and in the four month, months leading to October of last year, there's more and more uh, victims than 2022. Actually, they're saying that was a lull in 2022 versus 2021. The reason being a fight a uh, feud between Ukrainian and Russian hackers that used to work together, if, if, for instance, at, at Conti. So they kind of split camps, right? And so there was a little lull in 2022, but they're back in action, especially on the Russian side uh, and other state actors uh, this year, like, sorry, 2023. Uh, there's also uh, Sophos reporting that there's the ransomware uh, pay, uh, payments have doubled from 800,000 in 2022 on average to 1.5 million in the first three months only of 2023. Chain analysis also reports that between January and June of 2023, um, there were $449 million worth of reported ransomware payments. And there was 559 million for the whole year of 2022. Yes. So, pretty much doubled in, in that period of time in terms of total amount. So the other trend we've, we're seeing um, is uh, the demic, you know, the hackers are, you know, there's more and more, I don't, I don't want to use the word democratization of, uh, of hackers, but essentially you're seeing smaller and smaller cells of hackers banding together, four or five hackers per cell, consuming ransomware as a service packages. So where we had the, 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 the revels and the large integrated and log bid and what we call integrated companies, which do their own, uh, create their own malware, they distribute it and they collect on their own. They, they, they're creating service and ransomware as a service organizations with technical support, which is enabling players in uh, jurisdictions that are outside of, of of our law enforcement to launch attacks. And to Bill's point earlier, it could have been, you know, at sick kids could have been this, a, a group of people from their basement. So you have attacks that are coming from uh, uh, all over the place right now. On the one hand, on the other hand, is we know that the usual suspects are America, Australia, Britain, all the Western countries. 
But Brazil and India are also being attacked in a very, very large uh, way. There was another article in The Economist saying that Brazil's banking system is under heavy attack because although Brazil's a rich country, you know, they're a little bit, their defenses are not as developed as the Western countries. So there is a pivoting of these hackers towards these other countries which are rich and, you know, India and, and Brazil are very rich countries with a, an organized banking system. So they're becoming victims as well, right? It's moving away from the West. Um, so that's a, a big, big trend. Uh, the fact that there's smaller units, as I said, the other, and, and obviously markets, some of them were taken down this year, a Genesis market, um, you know, where you could buy, uh, buy, uh, credentials for anywhere between a dollar and a hundred dollars. And there's more of them that were taken down, but there's as, as they're taking down, there's more and more that open up. Um, and there's more variants as well. There's a statistic that came out in the report here that it, that is a bit contradictory to what we've seen. So um, based on certain, I think it was, yeah, it was SecureWorks. SecureWorks claims that between the time a hacker accesses the network and launches an attack, the delays have come down from five and a half days to 24 hours. On the same, by the same token, I have IBM on the other end saying that hackers literally linger in a network for nine months before attacking. From what we've seen in our experience, I think the latter is what we're seeing. And there's one reason. And again, later in the article, there's an, another discrepancy. They, they're saying that, you know, ex, exfiltration uh, attacks are on the rise. But it doesn't make a lot of sense because if you're exfiltrating data, there's no way you could determine what's the critical data of an organization within 24 hours or five days for that matter, right? So I think there needs to be further study to map out. If it's just a pure ransomware attack, sure, it makes sense that the, the timeline is shorter. But if you see the trend with more and more exfiltration of data for, for double extortion uh, schemes, I would err towards the nine months, right? Because in nine months, you have a the time typically to identify the company's behavior, defenses, and also where the critical data is. So there's a bit of a disconnect here in, in the article in terms of the different delays that, that we're seeing. Um, further, the other thing that I, I came across in the article, I'm going to speed through the last couple of, uh, of key points, and is a bit towards what you guys mentioned earlier. They're also finding that there's a branding branding issue uh, with uh, with the hackers. And it's a bit like you mentioned, the paradox of, of hackers in this case. Uh, and I'm going to read it uh, from the text. Victims must have confidence that their extortionists will decrypt data and refrain from publishing it if a ransom is paid. So they have all the interest of the world to keep their word, right? To honor... Uh, their payments and release the data, right? Um, Logbit even put a contest out. They paid a thousand dollars if you would tattoo Logbit on, on on your body, right, to show that they're good good guys. So what what this has created, believe it or not, is and they give the example of the car industry, right? You have all these luxury uh, uh, car. You know, you give an example like Lexus. What what Lexus is versus Toyota, Acura versus Honda. So the hackers are coming out with different brands. Why? Because they don't want to affect their their key brand in this case Lockbit, because what they want to do is they want to keep attacking their their targets, right? Because some of them are still vulnerable. So what they do is they attack again under another brand, and another signature, to make sure they don't 
affect their core brand, their main brand. And this was like picked up like in so many different sources and, and reported back. Um, and and it, it, it's, it's nuts. On the other hand, law enforcement is making more and more inroads uh, in, uh, and, and there's more and more wins, but still not enough. Uh, and, and the article talks about, like, for instance, in Australia, um, in Australia, they reported, uh, they publicly report the amount of attacks they launch against hackers. We're talking 30 uh, to 50 attacks last year in 2023, and they say that most of them were successful. However, they asked other agencies, and the agencies consider this classified information, but Australia was forthcoming. A couple of other elements of data for, for all of you. So uh, decryption keys uh, often work imperfectly. So even if the hacker wants to bring give your data back, in 5% of the cases, just doesn't work. 80% of organizations that pay get hit again, again, reinforcing the branding issue. And 29% uh, of victims of data extortion end up with data leaked anyway. So keep those, those numbers uh, in mind. So again, you know, we have a lot of fragmentary information. Uh, some, some We're winning some battles, losing others. And it's very costly for for our governments and, and in law enforcement to keep track of, of all of these guys. And in most cases, all they can do is shut them down temporarily because from a jurisdictional perspective, they can't make any arrests. They could just slow down progress. And obviously, and this is the subject for 2024, we now start sprinkling AI to the equations, making all these attacks more and more successful, especially in terms of phishing. Um, you know, gone are the days of uh, flagrant uh, spelling errors and mistakes and phishing attacks. So all this has been going on in 2023. Um, I think law enforcement, you know, by the article, and it'll be uh, when we post, we usually put the source, you'll find that there, there's a few wins here and there. Some of them are big, but again, you know, it's a bit of a game of whack-a-mole these days. Uh, you know, you put a couple to rest and four, four or five others spring up. Never trust. Always verify. Have you adopted a zero trust security framework? Do you require all users, whether in or outside your network, to be authenticated, authorized, and continuously validated to get or keep access to your applications and data? Only the paranoid survive. So keep your intellectual property safe with a zero trust attitude. Contact ESI at info at esitechnologies.com or visit esitechnologies.com. I think uh, the only solution is to, if you're building a business, you house it in a Faraday cage and <laughs> and you put only one wire to the to the internet and it's that's it. Um, what are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> it's uh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Great stats. Great, great insight. Great recap. And uh, you're right. I think um, you're kind of hinting at a couple of predictions that are coming up, but uh, I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, thanks, Pat. We're going to move on Thank to uh, the bold predictions. So uh, let's see what um, what our panel has to say. And we will start with you, Jane. Um what do you think is something that we can expect in uh, the next year? Yeah. Um, this question is so hard because, of course, who knows? I will be surprised. If I have to make one guess that I know will be true, I will be surprised. That's something that happens. But I think that, you know, an increased 
regulation starts to happen. It's descending onto the space. Um, we talked about, you know, Bill, you talked about the SEC. Um, I actually, when you started talking, I thought you were going to talk about the SEC lawsuit against the solar winds uh, and the CISO specifically as well at solar winds and, and the impact that, that that's going to have. But but also, you know, government pushing more regulations, um, insurance companies pushing a lot more regulations, saying not only do you have to have security solutions for us to insure you, you also, hey, have to have them deployed correctly even. Um, I think that all of those things are starting to shift CISOs from reporting to the CIO to becoming a peer of, and I will only pause short of, you know what, I'll make the hand motion. Here they are right now. This is happening. And I won't say this out loud, but I could see this happening. Um, how that information is secured is becoming more and more and more critical as the starting question of what or where that information is going to be. Um, so I think, I think that's going to be a big, and I think as that shift happens, there will also be like a, a, a change in the, in the philosophy at the board level as well, as there's more exposure to someone with that skill set, with that language set, um, at the table when they're making decisions and budgets and, and all the rest. So I look forward to a corporate culture change that will follow moves like that. Wow. Like uh, you're asking to move the Titanic on a, on a dime. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like I'm going to get some comments. I'm glad there's no like uh, DM happening right now, right? Like this isn't a. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that's uh, that's good. Okay, that's a good one. Um, let's go to Bill. Bill, there's a big event. Uh, you are the only American on the panel today. That's correct. So yeah, we, there's something uh, going on uh, later on in in 2024, and it has for, to do with your prediction. For our folks in Canada, I am definitely south of the border, and here in the United States, it's an election year. Um, so that that is so exciting. Uh, <laughs> not going into South Park analogies as far as who will have to vote between. Uh, for those who don't know, look it up. It's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, I think we're going to see the same fun that we've seen in past elections, but possibly amplified a little bit more than we have in the past. So I think that we're going to see uh, an attack on the legitimacy of the election process. I think we'll see some interesting deep fakes um, probably coming from both inside and outside uh, the United States, oh depending God. upon political boundaries or potentially <clears throat> geopolitical influence. So we'll see there. Um I think we'll see questions about voting machines, how the votes are counted, um, social media storms, although the social media component might get peeled back a little bit, depending upon the outcome of uh, Missouri and Louisiana versus the uh, versus Biden. It's actually not against Biden as a person, but it's more about how we can control information and free speech and social media. Uh, that's a whole different topic. But, um, but that goes along with misinformation. So I, I do think that... Um, not necessarily purely cyber focused, but there's a cyber aspect to uh, 2024 elections and campaigns that uh, that will continue to play out between now and November. Stay tuned. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how you, you kept having us with a, a smile as you were talking about all this. <laughs> I, I, it's 
it's just an election year. So we get to do this every four years. It's fantastic. <laughs> is Minnesota blue or a red state? I, I... Well, so Minnesota is a, uh, is a blue, and I'm in North Carolina as we speak, which is red. So North Carolina is red, and Minnesota is blue. I see. Okay. Yeah. Although I'm in the bluest part of that red state, which is I'm in Nashville. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, another thing popped just just now in my head. Uh, do you think that Trump can be deep faked? I, I think he probably can't because he says so much outlandish things on his own um, that it's. Yeah, it's... But he he's such a he's such a <laughs> he's such a character with with such a, a voice and a demeanor and a, and mannerisms and feet. I, I wonder I... if he could be deep faked. I think anyway. anyone can be deep faked at this point. So yeah, probably right. you're Pretty probably much. right. You're probably right. Yeah. yeah if you've um, made the mistake of showing your profile to a camera at any point in time, you're a good candidate for a deep fake. <laughs> oh yeah. We're, we're doing your voice yeah, recordings yeah. and God knows they they're recorded everywhere. This guy. That's right. That's right. Uh, I had one. Um, it, it's not, it, it's a bold prediction, but it's not that bold. It's, I think a lot of people will think this way. I think that, um, there's going to be a strong increase in AI uh, generated attacks. Um, we, we've, we've started seeing certain things. We've started seeing AI writing scripts, attack scripts and, and stuff like that. And, uh, but I think now we will see more and more um, cyber criminals leveraging uh, AI and pushing that attack. And that's going to give them a bit of an edge Uh, in 2024, I think the bad guys are gonna, they're always a, a step ahead, I, I think. Uh, but uh, I think this is going to give them two steps ahead uh, in 2024. Hopefully, the good guys will be able to leverage it as well to kind of gain that step back. But, um, you know, I'm a bit of a Debbie Downer on this one. But uh, I think that's that's what I'm my prediction, unfortunately. I love your prediction. I can make it worse if you want. Um, oh, crap. That yeah. same generative AI will be used by coders who are creating things that are then in the cloud. And as we all know, generative AI is makes mistakes. And I think yeah. that the, the assailants will also take advantage of those errors in code. But but to make you feel a little better, yes, the good guys are there and the technologies to to protect you are there as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're using AI as well, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. The exact same tools. So, Jane, so no Skynet in 2024. AI is not self-aware in 2024. We're good, right? I, I, dear future computer overlords, you're wonderful. That's all. <laughs> I already called for a paradigm shift. Don't call me for <laughs> You know what I do every time I call upon ChatGPT? I wish him, him or her or it good morning or good afternoon every time I start a conversation. <laughs> I want to build a relationship uh, so they remember me later on. Yeah, right. That's right. When they yeah. come, to, when they sort us all out. Too. Yeah, yeah. And the okay. answer, the answer back. They are. <laughs> Please and thank you all the time. Yeah. 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 Very polite. Um, Patrick, what's your prediction? Well, a couple of things I want to mention. You know, cl clearly, I don't see things getting better um, soon. I get, I see them getting worse uh, before getting better in terms of the healthcare. I, you know, once this study is out, I think more people will, will have eyeballs on this and document this any, every more. So two, th two things will happen. Number one, we'll discover that there's more deaths than we expected. And number two, it's going to continue and get and, and get worse before it gets better. So that's that's one aspect. 
um, maybe coming back to the comment of deep, deep fakes, I, I also see us coming back to human to human password management. Uh, if one, there's one thing I recommend, you know, people are a victim of business email compromise. And now we have uh, deep fakes that leverage people's voices. We have their bosses calling them and asking them to transfer money, uh, et cetera. So we're going to have to come back to a, a, in a live validation you guys will, will all have to have a safe word or a password that we could authenticate. call someone up lemon tree yeah. and, and and let you know exactly like like your like the insurance like my uh my my um my uh, alarm system alarm system company when there's a an alarm there and they call me we have a we have a, a password we need to tell them to make sure it's not the the burglar saying, yeah, yeah, I'm home and then hang up. Right. So we have to have those concepts. So I predict coming back to a little more analog type of validation in, in certain cases. Um, and in terms of other predictions, uh, just maybe, maybe one more. Um, there will be a major major cloud-based uh, incident uh, related to a ransomware attack or any attack for that matter, which will be disruptive, not necessarily to the hyperscalers themselves, but to clients and organizations running there. We have rushed to go to the cloud. You know, we have sysadmins that are become cloud admins by taking a couple of exams that are moving these critical workloads to the cloud and have not designed cybersecurity from the ground. Um, there are sysadmins that graduated to cloud admins and they are not cybersecurity experts, right? So a lot of there's a lot of improvisation out there. So cloud security and the identif, I would say the we need to shine, there's a lot of blind spots out there. And we need to shine light on those blind spots in a hurry because we're going to see serious damage on cloud instances in the next year, much more than we've seen in the past. And Especially we already in saw Canada. Azure go down. Pardon me? And we already saw last year Azure go down because yep. of DDoS attack. Yeah. And that's not even what... None of us are talking like that's the thing we're talking about either. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I will have to say, and, and, and Jane, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree, Canada, especially because we're a step behind, we're a step behind the U.S. in a lot of these uh, these uh, these subjects. Anyways, proactive organizations that maintain an efficient network are more likely to prevent an attack. Let Virtual Guardian put your network security at the forefront of your organizational strategy with a network security assessment. Identify security vulnerabilities, help prevent risk, downtime, security breaches, and loss of revenue with a thorough assessment from Virtual Guardian. Contact us at virtualguardian.com. Okie dokie. Thank you all for your predictions. Now we're going to just shift gears a little bit from predictions. We're going to go now for something that we think might happen to something that we want, we would like to happen. So. I've asked you all on this first uh, show of 2024 to come up with a uh, cybersecurity related wish. What would you like to see happen in 2024? Jane, please go ahead. Dear Santa. Dear Santa, uh, yes. 
this year, my wish is that all corporate decision makers understand, look at, and truly understand the cost risk analysis of cybersecurity as a whole, including the long term, beyond the brand damage from you know the hospital care fallout of, of people not receiving care to hospitals being straight shuttered to um, CISO and board liability to long tail fines. Like you guys remember the Equifax breach from of course, of uh, 2017, 2017? Yeah. this past year in October, they're still getting fined for that. They had another 11 million pound fine out of London for that same breach. Like the, the costs, when we talk about anytime you read a, something that says the cost of, of a breach has been estimated at that's only the first cost it's going to go on forever anyway because of all all of this understand this this is what will happen right this is my wish and businesses will properly budget and execute a zero trust network access strategy philosophy in their environments to protect all of us very nice very Thank you, nice Santa. i'll be good very nice uh, that uh, hopefully that comes through Bill, what are you hoping uh, for 2024? All right, I'm going to have to shift on the fly because Jane, I, I didn't read all my email prior to this, so, so I, I apologize. I know I could have seen Jane's prediction, but I didn't. I I had essentially the same thing with doing a comprehensive risk assessment, but I'm going to go I'm going to go a different direction on the fly and say if we could institute passwordless authentication in 2024 and do it very well across all the systems that we have access to, I I would love for that to happen and get rid of something that's old, archaic, breakable. I don't care if you're using rainbow tables or just pure guessing. Uh, if we could go to something that is a bit more secure for authenticating users, that would solve a lot of the problems that we face here in 2024. Subcutaneous microchip? I mean, I could put one in my <laughs> wrist and just... <laughs> As long as it doesn't connect that way, to any bodily functions. All right. Passwordless Hand authentication. Handprints thing everywhere. Yes. Yep. I'd be okay with handprint, to be honest with you. I've, I've got no concerns with that, personally. All right. All right. Very nice. Uh, Patrick, go ahead. Um, oh, actually, you you wanted to go last, didn't you? Yeah, go. You go for oh, once. Oh, yeah, you go ahead. yeah. You you asked me. Uh, you wanted to go last. I'll give you the last word. Um, my wish um would be for more uh intra jurisdictional collaboration. What what do I mean by that? Is basically, I'm tired of you know talking to to people from different places and everybody has different marching orders, different rules, uh, different, uh, checklists. Uh, yeah. Different checklists. Where are you? Oh, I'm in, uh, I'm in Quebec. Oh, okay. You have law 25. Where are you? Oh, I'm in here. I'm here. I'm here. And why can't, you know, I, and I know there's a whole bunch of lobbyists and there's a whole, there's businesses behind and everything, but, Get your, your stuff together, Canada or U.S. or whoever. Can we not, you know, have a standardized checklist and, and marching orders for, for companies so that it's more comprehensive, easier to follow? And at one point, everybody, 
you know, cybersecurity at one point is very, it's complex. It's complicated. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of things to know and remember and, and take care of. But if the rules of the game were just a little bit more simple and, and a little bit more linear across the board, I think that it would help everybody in becoming more secure. Yeah, I mean, cybersecurity is the same whether you're in the U.S. and Canada from a technological best practices aspect. So why not have the same set of laws? Obviously, there are certain specific differences, but not enough to justify having such different regulatory landscape. That's right. only something like an international standards organization that we could all just get on board with. <laughs> yeah. Or two. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's true. It's true. Well, at least North America, you know, I versus mean, the I, world. I would be happy just if we can start with Canada and yeah. then or and the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you know, it's wishful thinking. But North America, all the same, that would be like amazing. But I, I would be happy if Canada would have something. U.S. would have something. At least we would know, because I don't think we'll ever be capable of putting Canada and U.S. on the same rule list. But uh, but Canada, if you do something in Quebec, you you can go to jail and pay. And if the same thing happens in Saskatchewan, nothing happens. So I mean, so that's my wish. All right, good uh, good point, Patrick. Last one. Well, I think I wish that there's more organizations that are more organizations that make the link between cybersecurity and cyber resilience. And it's they're, they're different concepts, but they're joined at the hip and influence each other, right? And if you look at a lot of organizations today, most of them have disaster recovery planning. If the data center floods, especially large organizations or regu- uh, regulated organizations, if there's data center floods, if there's a, a fire in their data center, if some of their key sites are not available, they, they have plans for that, right? When it comes to cyber resilience or resilience related to a cybersecurity attack or incident, plans are not clear. Incidents response plan and who does what is not clear. When and where do you restore from in the case of data being compromised is not clear. And there's a link between. So I think cybersecurity incidents should be integrated in the disaster recovery planning. And it's not for the most part today. And the recovery times are, you know, our business has evolved from the, the backup world and the data protection world yeah, 30 years ago and 20 years ago, we got into cybersecurity. But our, our our data center background teaches us that it is extremely complex and long to recover from a disaster to start with, just restoring from backup. Imagine a, a moment or a situation where you have to recover after a, a, a cyber attack, not knowing the integrity of your data and when you have to restore from and not knowing if you have lingering threats in your environment that will undo whatever you just did in terms of restoring from operations. And there are ways to address that efficiently. But the additional complexity is having the data center people the CIOs talk to the CISOs or the cybersecurity people. So my wish is that there's more collaboration and understanding from those two concepts of cybersecurity and cyber resilience, and we'll all be better off uh, for it. All right. Nice wishes. Hopefully they all they all come true uh, in, in the next 12 months. Uh, we're running out of show. 
Um, I want to thank our guest, uh, Jane Arnett. Thank you very much, Jane, for coming back. We love having you. Uh, it's always you. a treat. Uh, Patrick, Bill, thank you for your usual participation. We'll see you again next month. And to all of you listening out there, uh, thank you for your downloads of the podcast. We really appreciate it. If you've missed any part of today's events or you want to catch up on past events, remember, uh, you can find uh, past episodes on virtualguardian.com slash events or find the podcast wherever you get your uh, favorite podcasts. So a big thank you to everyone. And remember, when you're behind the shield, you're ahead of the game. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.